under attack, but don't fall back. That's our message today on Encounter God's Truth. Do we really believe in the importance of prayer? Do we take the time and effort to pray? Do we pray with our families? Do we gather with others to pray? Do we plan to pray? Are we truly confident that God will answer our prayers? The apostles and the entire early church certainly believed in prayer, and that was one of the keys to their commitment to carrying out the Great Commission. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, and we're currently in Volume 4 in a study of Acts, Witness of the Early Church. On today's program, Dr. John Whitcomb begins to unfold the significance of Acts chapter 12, God's inspired record of one of the most powerful prayer meetings in the history of the church. Dr. Whitcomb presented these messages over the course of several years at the Independent Fundamental Bible Conference held at Middletown Bible Church in Middletown, Connecticut. He also authored a commentary in the book of Acts along with Pastor George Zeller of Middletown Bible Church, and you can access that freely at our website, WhitcombMinistries.org. Now, with more timeless truths for changing times, here's Dr. John Whitcomb delivering part one of a new sermon called Under Attack, But Don't Fall Back. Dear friends, I greet you once again in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, through whom the universe was created and by whose mighty word all things are upheld and directed moment by moment, night and day, through whose precious blood we have been redeemed, and whose blessed hope of soon return, perhaps tonight, is the motivation for our service for him until he comes. After that magnificent musical preparation, one is sorely tempted to say, Amen, thank you, we're done. (laughs) Thank you for enduring a slight aftermath here, but not slight if we open God's precious word and listen to him speak to us. Turn to Acts chapter 12, verse 1. God's inspired record of one of the most powerful prayer meetings in the history of the church. A great crisis had come, and yes, we have a triangle presented here, don't we? An evil king, a praying church, and a sovereign God. Now that is typical throughout all the ages of church history, and even of Israel past and future, God has a magnificent message for each of us, especially for me, I'm sure, tonight when I hear these words in Acts chapter 12. Verse 1, now about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Who in the world is Herod the king? Herod Agrippa I, grandson of that monster of iniquity, Herod the Great. And he, his uncle was Herod, who, whom Jesus designated as the fox. The whole family, incredibly wicked, an effective instrument of Satan for many, many years at the beginning of what we call the church age. Well, friends, this man, of course, was raised in a totally godless, demonic atmosphere and background and family situation and He was raised actually in Rome and got in trouble with Tiberius the emperor who flung him into prison. But uh, later emperors like Caligula and Claudius rescued him and honored him and made him a king. In fact, he ended up practically ruling the whole of the Holy Land by this time from uh, A.D. 37 to A.D. 44. Just at this very time, at the end of his life, a crisis occurred. 
Now, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that Herod Agrippa I wanted very, very desperately to gain the favor of the Jews. He wanted their support. He wanted to maintain his power with their support. So that was the occasion described here. He stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church and killed James, the brother of John. Now, be careful here. This is not James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church who is a half-brother of Jesus, is the James, the apostle, James and John, sons of thunder, whose mother came to Jesus one time and said, uh, Lord, when the kingdom comes, would you please have my two sons on your right hand and your left hand? Well, of course, all the apostles uh, were angered by that, a bold step on her part on behalf of her boys. And uh, you remember the amazing things that Jesus said? Look at Matthew 20 with me now for a moment. Matthew chapter 20, because a prophecy here uttered is going to be fulfilled. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 20. Then came to him that mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Well, at least you have to hand it to their mother that she believed in the coming kingdom and that it was on the earth and that it was a literal fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy and it was a glorious thing to be present there and to be honored there and she wanted her sons to be there too. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for telling us about this dear woman and her desire. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, what? We are able. Now they must have sensed something ominous there in the way he presented this challenge. We're able to drink the cup. We'll pay whatever price is necessary to have that glorious destiny with you in the kingdom. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink in need of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it should be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Look what happened to one of these boys. If their mother was still alive, she must have been horrified. Watch carefully now. He killed James, the brother of John. Now, James is one of the top three of the twelve. Peter, James, and John, who had special privileges granted to them by the Lord in anticipation, we believe, of the coming kingdom in which they will indeed be honored, but they were going to pay the price for it, were they not? And James, very early in the book of Acts, and of course, John, long after the book of Acts ends, is still recipient of God's revelation as he wrote his epistles and the book of Revelation from Christ directly and ended up as an exile on the island of Patmos and we know not how he died, but he drank the cup too. He tasted of death in the name of his Savior, his Lord. What an awful blow this must have been to John. My beloved brother James is dead. Now friends, the little statement here is interesting. Then were the days of unleavened bread, during which time Peter himself now was taken. 
And the only one who escaped of the top three was John. But James is dead and Peter is in prison during these days from Nisan the 14th to Nisan the 21st. And during these days of his imprisonment, an amazing thing happened. Verse 4. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the four quaternions of soldiers. Those are squads of four soldiers each who during the night hours, every three hours, uh, four fresh soldiers were put in charge of Peter. Can you imagine this? One on each side of him chained to his arm and two at the door to guard the door lest he escape or someone come in to rescue him. Sort of like putting guards at the tomb of Jesus to prevent anyone from getting in to steal the body and claim that he had risen from the dead. Intending after Easter, literally after Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. Kept. Now, friends, I have a question I want to ask Peter someday, don't you? Peter, were you an effective witness for the Lord Jesus while you were chained to these prisoners, like Paul later told us in his letters? What a wonderful opportunity to be a witness to somebody chained to you, a captive audience, hour after hour after hour. Sir, I don't know who you are, but let me tell you about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God who died for your sins and rose from the dead, etc., etc. Don't you think that would have been a wonderful thing to be chained to Peter? I just wonder. Because did you know this is the last night these men are going to be alive? What happened to these soldiers? Well, the next day, of course, as we shall see, when Peter was delivered, he didn't escape. He was delivered by God supernaturally. The king had all the soldiers executed the next day. Why? It was the law of Justinian, which confirmed a law that had been in effect for hundreds of years, that any guard who allows a prisoner to escape will lose his own life. That was a strong motivation for watching your prisoner. This is their last night on the earth. I wonder what Peter told them. Okay. Now here's the big thing, friends. But, don't you love that word? Bad things, but. Tragedy, but. Disaster, imminent. No escape, no hope, but. But what? Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, friends, that's quite a combination of words, isn't it? And God has wonderful things to tell us from Genesis to Revelation, what happens when God's people gather together in united prayer in the name of the living God on the basis of his revelation, in this case, the Holy Scriptures by now, available to these dear people, and they were assembled, that's a group, together in unity with a focus to pray for Peter's deliverance. Now just think of what the Bible says about believing prayer on the part of people united in the name of the living God. You don't have to turn, but let me remind you that all the way from the very beginning of Genesis, prayer is very, very important in the mind of God. Here's how chapter 4 of Genesis ends. 
Now, Abel had been murdered. Cain was banished. Adam and Eve were devastated at what happened to their sons. But God graciously gave them another son whose name was Seth. And then Seth had a son named Enosh, and here's how the chapter ends. I've always marveled at this. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and his, they called his name Enosh. And then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, well over a hundred years have passed since the creation of Adam and Eve. You mean this is the first time anybody ever prayed? No, but apparently it's the first time you have three believing men on this planet who could unite in prayer to the living God. Now, the Lord Jesus, who knows his, if he is referring back to this event, but he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I where? In the midst. Now, have you ever wondered, well, what is the advantage of having two or three rather than just one believing prayer warrior? That's very difficult to answer. Very difficult. Because God has designed the human race, starting with families, where you have mom and dad and a child. A reflection, I believe, to some extent of God's design uh, of man to reflect his administration and and management and, and a interrelationship program in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three persons there. And the home is supposed to be something like that with the Father representing the Father, I suppose, and three men praying. I wonder about that. You say, well, can't the women here pray? Well, of course, in the Old Testament, you have the emphasis on male leadership in the home and in the assembly of God's people. But then men began to pray in the name of the Lord. Now, friends, uh, shift immediately with me to the last book of the Bible. Let's turn to the book of Revelation now, chapter 5, and see what happens here. This is amazing, I think, too, about what prayer accomplishes in the plan of God on planet Earth. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, the four living creatures, and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, that's Jesus, of course, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, literally incense, which are what? The prayers of saints. Now, you know, something unusual took place tonight. Did you notice this? First we had a harp playing, and then someone prayed. I wonder if that reached the third heaven. Turn to chapter 8 of Revelation. Look at this statement, verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense. This was a perfumed powder that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Well, you know, friends, this provokes in our minds, I'm sure, some very, very interesting questions, doesn't it? Uh, what really happens in the universe 
When God's people assemble, two or three or hopefully a hundred or a thousand, who knows what the opportunity might be, to offer genuinely from the heart and the mind meaningful prayer based on Holy Scripture honoring the Lord Jesus to the glory of God the Father implemented by the Holy Spirit of God. And those prayers ascend beyond the atmosphere and into outer space and beyond the moon and beyond the other planets and beyond the sun and all the galaxies beyond them all the way to the third heaven. And when those prayers arrive up there, they have been purged and purified and cleansed of any unworthy motives or perspectives and are accepted by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now that's an awesome thing to think about. And I say, well, Lord, help me to have a new perspective on what prayer really is in your sight in this world. Family prayers, regular prayer together, church prayer meetings where God's people take the time and make the effort, and it is time-consuming, and it takes effort and planning and involvement and dedication to do this, and it takes work, you see, for people to gather together like we do each morning here. This is very meaningful to all of us, I'm sure, that have an opportunity to participate. At 8.45 each morning, uh, sentence prayers. Very, very precious. You're not heard for your much speaking, but for the heart and the mind involved in the words that are uttered. And I say, well, thank you, Lord, for this reminder. Uh, whatever the world thinks of it, and of course nothing could be more absurd in the minds of men apart from God than people gathering together and talking up into the air in the name of a man who died 1,900 plus years ago. Well, of course, he was dead, but he's alive forevermore. And he's at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, you pray in my name. See, in other words, for my glory and the light of my revelation of truth. And, and I will answer your prayers. My Father will answer your prayer if you pray in my name. And I say, well, Lord, really, this, this is something that is not quite adequately believed, obeyed, and taken seriously by your people. Help me to think this through more carefully. Because sometimes... We'll have to say this, won't we? The humble, persistent prayers of people that maybe are on a sick bed or isolated somewhere are of more power to accomplish great things under God than all the deliberations of political groups and international groups and uh, experts and educators, politicians combined. In fact, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much, much. Really? You mean God is sort of like serious about this? Well, Paul said in Ephesians six eighteen, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Watch these words now, these qualifications, guidelines. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's quite an agenda for a prayer meeting, isn't it, friends? And pray for me, he said, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now here's Peter in bonds, you see, in a prison. 
And I'm wondering if he is praying to God, Oh, Lord, please, please have your people here in Jerusalem pray for me, that I might have boldness here in my bonds to be a witness to you, to these uh, prisoners that you brought at this moment into my life and within the sphere of my influence as a reflector of your light into this dark dungeon. Okay? How about Philippians 4? I, I just love this one, don't you? Uh, be careful or anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Don't be twisted out of shape over circumstances, however awful they may seem. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, not always just asking, asking, but thanking, thanking the Lord for what he has done, is doing, and promised he will do, let your requests being made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I say, well, well, thank you, Lord, because even though, as we shall see, these dear people in Jerusalem who were gathered to pray for Peter had a very dim concept of the effectiveness of their prayer, didn't they? Don't you think when we get to heaven, dear friends, that God will sit us down and say, Now, dear child, I sort of tremble at the thought of this. Here's what was accomplished because you prayed. I heard you that night. I heard your prayer as you prayed with two or three others in your home or in your church. I answered your prayer and this is what I did. But dear child, if you had just prayed more fervently, more effectually, more frequently, more biblically, here's what I could have done, would have done, and I say, oh no, don't tell me. Do you suspect that might happen? Or do you think in your own heart right now, I have prayed completely, adequately, sufficiently, biblically, and there's nothing more I could have done in the realm of believing prayer? Of course not. But I sort of tremble at the thought of God telling me what could have happened if, if, if I had prayed in the name of Jesus more faithfully. And uh, my personal opinion is, this is just a, an opinion, no one has ever been saved in the history of the world without somebody praying for him. God uses human intercessors to accomplish his greatest work in what? Salvation, sanctification, the planning of local churches, the outreach to the ends of the earth in terms of missions. I mean, think of what prayer under God's plan, program, and provision accomplishes on this earth. Now, to me, chapter 12 at the dawn of church history is, is one of God, the Holy Spirit's ways of saying, now, dear reader, watch how I work when people pray in the name of Jesus. Are you ready? Verse 6, and when Herod would have brought him forth, that is, Peter, to bring him publicly to be executed, as he had killed James, the same night, are you impressed with God's timing? In the fullness of time, at the last moment, at the appropriate moment, help came. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Now you say, now wait a minute, I don't understand this. How could Peter be sleeping if he knew the next morning he was going to be executed? Well, perhaps he believed what Jesus said to him back there in John 21. You needn't turn, but, uh, you know, he was told by Jesus, 
When you were young, you girded yourself and walked wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, watch that one. When thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. And thus he spake, signifying by what death he, Peter, would die to glorify God. What's that mean? It means, Peter, uh, don't worry about John. I'm going to take care of him. But as for you, you are going to live a long, long life. And when you're an old, old man, you will die by crucifixion. Okay? Peter believed that. So here he is in prison, and he's not an old, old man. He's not going to be crucified. So he says, well, this I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to just might as well go to sleep. This is fine. No problem. Think about that. Well, Dr. John Whitcomb loved the challenge of teaching through the book of Acts, and we're so glad to multiply the effect of these messages here on Encounter God's Truth. We're thankful to our friends at Middletown Bible Church for their generous permission to help in bringing them to you. You can hear all of the past installments from all volumes of this series on our page at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. And then for news and updates from our ministry, see us at facebook.com slash Whitcomb Ministries. I'm Wayne Shepherd, delighted that you're listening to Encounter God's Truth, a weekly program that's designed to increase your assurance that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. We at Whitcomb Ministries rejoice in the opportunity to bring it to you via radio and the Internet. May God bless you in the week ahead as you continue to Encounter God's Truth.